0: Thank you, Olivia and Shannon, for uh, your ministry of music. Now, if you all would turn to Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. So, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. And if you're using the Pew Bibles, that'll be page 100, no, 100, 1,201. So let's start reading. Starting at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies In all these we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the word of God.
1: Good morning. As we continue in our study in the book of Romans, five times in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul has asked questions to draw out the amazing privileges of belonging to Christ Jesus. Verse 31, the question was, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring anything against the charge of God's elect? Verse 34, who is to condemn? And now today, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There is no greater comfort than in knowing that we are secure in our relationship to God. God is not fickle. His love does not change. The God who loved us before the foundation of the world, the God who loved us while we were still sinners, the God who loved us in giving us his son so that we would have eternal life, is a God who will love us forever. This morning we want to emphasize that we should never think that just because we are suffering or going through hardships, and when I say just, I'm not minimizing or trivializing those hardships and sufferings. There are a lot of people in life that are experiencing a tremendous amount of pain and anguish and hurt and heartache, but we must be sure that when we are experiencing such things that we are not beginning to ask the question, I wonder if this is happening to me because God no longer loves me. Does this mean I am outside of the will of God? Perhaps you have been tempted inwardly to ask the question, if God loves me, why is this happening to me? For many times we conjure up an idea that if God loves me, then everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be peachy. There's going to be no misery, no heartache, no suffering but rather it's going to be a life of eternal bliss and joy. It's one big smile on our face for all eternity. What we know for absolute certainty when we ask this question of why is this happening to me? You know, there's many things we don't know. There's a plethora of reasons why certain things happen to us and Many times we don't really know, we can't pinpoint the exact purpose that God has in bringing this particular trial or hardship or difficulty into our life. But the one thing we know with absolute certainty is that when I am facing this trial or you are facing this trial or hardship, it is not because God no longer loves you. It is not because God is now angry with you And has separated you from his love. For this morning our theme is that nothing can stop God from loving us or for us from loving him. Let me say that again. Nothing can stop God from loving us or us from loving him. The question is raised in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And as we ask that, as we look at that question, we must begin by looking at that prepositional phrase, love of Christ. What does that mean? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is it our love for Christ or Christ's love for us? Is it a genitive of source or not? Is it talking about Christ's love for me or my love for him? What is primary is God's love for us. If you look at verse 37, if we look at the context, it states, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. And now notice this phrase, who loved us. So the emphasis is on God's love for us. If you look at verse 39, Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, it's God's love that's found in Christ Jesus. So the primary emphasis is God's love. But secondarily, the emphasis is also our love for Christ. For again, in the context, if you look at Romans eight twenty-eight, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So it's talking about those who love God, and in verses 37 and 39, it's talking about God's love for us. The great Puritan, Thomas Manton, in asking that question as to whether it's talking about our love for Christ or Christ's love for us, says this, and I quote, it is meant to both. Christ's love to us and our love to Christ, but principally, of the love of God in Christ to us. The apostle speaks of God's love as the cause of our love, for we love because he loved us first. The comfort is not so great that we love him as that he loves us, and the stability of our love depends on his, End quote. I think that that says it distinctly and very helpful, uh, help in a very helpful manner. So this morning we're going to be talking about two things. First, nothing can divorce us of our love for Christ because of God's love for us. Nothing can divorce us of Christ, of our love for Christ because of God's love for us. Again, the question is raised in verse 35. Who can divorce us from our love for Christ? The word for separation in verse 35 is literally the word to be divorced. In Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus is approached and asked a the question, they said, therefore, Jesus' response is, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore has God has joined together, let not man separate. Let not man divorce. So here this, this word is to divorce." It's a, it's a very harsh, and it's a strong word, and the thought is: what or who is able to divorce us from the love of God, our love for him and his love for us. Unfortunately, we know all too well that sometimes the love between individuals grow cold and sometimes even ends in divorce. We have known individuals that, that proclaim uh, love for one another, even take vows of having a never-ending love, and they start out with a, with a rich desire to demonstrate love towards each other, but circumstances and situations enter into that relationship, and unfortunately, that love grows cold, and sometimes even to the point of entering in the divorce. So the passage asks us the question who or what can bring a circumstance or a situation into our relationship with God that would result in our seeking to divorce Him or He seeking to divorce us in our relationship to Him? In verses 35 and 36, well, as we look at verse 35, that relative pronoun who can be translated as either who or what. Who can separate us and we can easily translate that or what shall separate us. And if you look closely at verses 35 to 37, it's talking about the what. If you look at verse 37, it says in all these things We are more than conquerors. So verses 35, 36, and 37 are talking about things. They're talking about circumstances. They're talking about what could separate us from the love of Christ. And secondly, in verses 38 to 39, it is the who that is stressed: Angels, rulers, things present, things to come, height, depth, anything else in all creation. So there is nothing and no one that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now we want to unpack that truth so that it comes home in a little stronger way and ask the question, aren't there some things that could potentially cause our love for Christ to grow cold and hence want us to divorce, separate, uh, give up our relationship To Christ. Aren't there things that one might experience that could cause one's love to grow cold? Well, there are seven conditions that are described in verses 35 and following to answer that that question What might separate us or cause us to divorce? in our relationship to Christ. Here are the seven. First, tribulation. Anything that causes stress and results in a person becoming, I use the word unhinged, uh, to become irrational, just, just to become so upset that they begin to act in an irrational manner. Couldn't all kinds of tribulation enter into a relationship that would cause us to be unfaithful to God? Second word is distress. To be confined, pressured, restricted, hemmed in. To be at wit's end, seeing no way out, escaping one's ordeal. Uh, To feel helpless. To feel like you are chained. You are imprisoned in life's misery and heartache. And you see no end out. You see no light at the end of the tunnel. Couldn't those kinds of circumstances... Cause a person to be falling out of love with God or God out of love with us. Famine. Well, excuse me, persecution. Affliction that is directly related to the cause of Christ. Certainly, when people understand that the reason for this suffering, the reason for this hardship, the reason for this difficulty is because of my faithfulness to Christ. And if I wouldn't name the name of Christ, I could be out of prison. I could be secure. I could be safe. Life would be so much better for me. There are so many places around the world of which people are faced with that question each day. Are they going to stand in their commitment to Christ? Or are they going to cave and denounce Christ? And as a result flee the the persecution that they are under. So would persecution do it? How about famine? Lack of food, going hungry. You know, we may think of these things as as purely theoretical. They are ethereal. We're talking about the world of hypothesis. And it's always difficult to to deal with the what-ifs in life. How do we know? How do we respond to the what-ifs? Well, these are not just purely theoretical. For we see in the life of Paul that he experienced the very things that that we are talking about. For example, famine. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4.11, even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. The next word is nakedness, lack of clothing, to be poor and destitute. Again in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 4, even unto this present hour, we are both hunger and thirst. We are naked and buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. The next word in our text is danger. Danger. And that is a very broad word that talks about all kinds of dangers or perils. Again, listen to the testimony of Paul. This time in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, 26. He speaks of his experience. And he says, On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Paul talks about all these different kinds of dangers that he is constantly in. And yet they have not separated him for his love for Christ or Christ's love for him. But what about the sword? Verse 36. The risk of one's own life. Certainly martyrdom perhaps might separate us from the love of Christ or the love of God. And in fact the word martyr comes from the Greek word martyros which is witness. And as many in the early church Uh, were martyred because of their witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't any one of those things separate us from our love for Christ or Christ's love for us? How about those things collectively? How about experiencing not one of those seven, but all of those seven? What about that? In the book of Job. God and Satan are having an interaction. And Satan says to God. Will a man not give all things to spare his life? Isn't a man willing to sacrifice everything to preserve his skin? Well. God allows Job to experience all these sufferings and hardships of all kinds. Nothing can separate him from the love of Christ. Such things cannot defeat us. Notice the example in the text in verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That is a quotation from the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 44. It is a literal verbatim translation. And if you look at that, that verse and start picking it apart. Notice these things. First, the cause of the trial is their commitment to God. Verse 36. As it is written, for your sake... For your sake, on account of you. In Psalm 44, it's clear that the psalmist is suffering not because of what he has done in some kind of evil or some kind of sinfulness. He is not suffering the consequences of unfaithfulness to God, but quite the contrary. The reason that he is suffering is because of his faithfulness to God, because of his allegiance to God. For your sake... We are suffering. Because of my commitment to Christ, I may suffer. Notice the severity of the trial. For it says, We are being killed. We're being killed. As as you think of all the suffering that one can undergo, uh, certainly death is the ultimate test and trial. Look at the relentless nature of the trial. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. That's not talking about a, uh, a, a slow and painful death that lasts 24 hours. It's talking about the fact that God's people, it's in the poor, we, all right? So from morning to tonight, it's not just the psalmist himself, but all of his cohorts, all of those that are being faithful. He said, we are being killed all day long. They don't get tired of killing us. Their anger toward us, doesn't abate. It doesn't quit. But rather, all day long, we are being killed for your sake. Notice the Christ's likeness in their trial. Verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. And now this, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered as sheep to be slaughtered. In that simple sentence, it is stating the tremendous grace that God is giving that they are able to suffer to the honor and glory of God as sheep to the slaughter. For listen to the description of Christ's own suffering on the cross in Isaiah chapter 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. So Jesus willingly suffered and died for us. To the honor and glory of God. And so God gives us the ability to suffer for his sake. To the honor and glory of God. Or notice the triumph in verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So there's this resounding no in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, we are more than conquerors in that not only do the hardships fail to separate us or divorce us from God's love, but they, in fact, are used by God to bring us into a greater intimacy and fellowship with God. Rather than moving us away from God, they move us to God. And rather than his love being withheld from us, we experience his love even more as a result of these sufferings and hardships. That's the grace of God. That's what hardships and suffering do in the life of the child of God. They bring them closer to God, not farther away. Turn with me in your Bibles Stay here. Go back to Romans chapter 5. And I've been emphasizing the way in which these verses are integrated. These these thoughts are expounded more and more as you work through the book of Romans. And so we don't want to lose sight of the foundation that's set. So we go back to Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says this. Therefore. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but now this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given unto us. Because God pours love into us. His love for us results in our love for him. He's pouring that love into us in the midst of that hardship and that suffering. The question is, how can that be? How is that possible? Verse 37, it says, through him who loved us. Through Jesus Christ, his ministry, his work, and then the work of the Holy Spirit, founded upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, pours the love into our hearts. Which brings us to the second point. And that is our love for Christ will never fail because God's love for us will never fail. And here we're emphasizing that it's God's love for us that doesn't fail. That's the primary emphasis. God's love for me does not fail, therefore my love for him does not fail. Notice verse 38. For I am sure, ESV, NAS, I am convinced, King James, I am convinced. Persuaded, there is absolute certainty on the part of the Apostle Paul as to his declaration of God's never-ending love for him. No matter what he is going through, even though all those seven circumstances that we described were true in Paul's life, even though he experienced all those hardships and difficulties, the one thing he could say with absolute certainty is that God loved him. despite all these hardships and difficulties. Nothing that we can experience in this life or after death can separate us from God's love. Verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life. And then we have these series of couplets to demonstrate the fact that that no one or, or no thing can separate us from god 's love, nothing can divorce god 's love from us. Notice the end of verse thirty nine anything else in all creation. now here are these couplets to describe and unfold those things. The first couplet is life and death. The second couplet is angels or rulers verse thirty eight i 'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor nor rulers. These are governments or leaders over the visible, invisible world. Those people that have authority, those people that have power, and those people or entities that govern and influence the circumstances of our lives, none of them can dissuade God from stopping to love us. No angel, Satan himself, can't come before God and bring an accusation against us that will cause God to stop loving us. That's back to the previous verse. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can come into the presence of God and find fault with us? The fourth couplet is height or depth, which I'm taking to mean heaven or hell. What is there in heaven or what is there in hell that could cause God from stopping to love us? Then we have this summary statement to make sure that everything is covered nor anything else in all of creation. There is nothing that exists that can dissuade God from loving us. Nothing. It's a great comfort to the child of God to know that he or she will always experience the love of God. George Matheson is a name that you may or may not recognize. He was born in Uh, Glasgow Scotland in 1842 as a child he'd only partial had only partial vision and his sight became progressively worse until it resulted in total blindness by the time he was 18 despite his handicap he was a brilliant student and graduated from the University of Glasgow and later from seminary he became a pastor of several churches in Scotland including a large church in Edinburgh, where he was greatly respected and loved. After he had been engaged to a young woman for a short while, she broke the engagement, having decided that she could not be content married to a blind man. It is this painful, romantic disappointment in love that led Matheson to write the beautiful hymn, which begins with the following stanza. O love that will never let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths its flow. May richer and fuller be. But understand this. And it's the most important thing that I have to say this morning. But the love of God that results in our loving him is more than a simply persuasive or rational love. It is more than just a reasonable response on our part to God's love for us, that we would in fact then love him. It's more than just, as I say, a persuasion or a rational love. And we could easily ponder the idea, well, if God loves us, then I should love him. If Christ died for me, it's only reasonable that I would respond in love for him. While all of that is true, that is not the focus. For sometimes in human relationships, love goes unreciprocated. We can all think about parents who have loved their children that for some reason their children grow up and fail to love them in return. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's possible to be in a marriage where one partner has been faithful and has been very loving and kind and considerate, and yet that love has been unreciprocated. That yet, even though they are faithful, even though they are kind, even though they are gracious, even though they may do everything right, it doesn't guarantee that their spouse will in turn be faithful to them and appreciate what they have done. So when we talk about God's loving us resulting in our loving him, It's more than just his faithfulness. And we don't want to diminish that faithfulness by any means. It isn't just because he is the perfect lover. But God's love for us is an enabling love, it's an empowering love, it's an engendering love. It is God's love for us that enables us, strengthens us, moves us to love him. It is an effectual love, actually producing within us love for him. We love him because he first loved us. And that's more than just a response of love to love it's because he loved us that he so worked and moved in our hearts that he has produced a love in us. Listen closely again to Romans 5.5. 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit the reason we can have confidence that nothing will separate us from our love for God is because he's pouring love into our hearts for him. The God who caused us to love him initially is the God who's keeping us in love with him for now. And the God who is going to continue to pour his love into our hearts for all eternity future. We can be sure of our love for him because of his love for us. And nothing can separate, divorce, God's love from us. He loved us before the foundation of the world. He loved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. He loved us in giving us his son. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Nothing can divorce God's love from us. And therefore, and only because of that, can I be assured that my love will never grow cold for him. He is stirring the embers He is providing that love He is sustaining you and me In all of these experiences And the joy is that in these experiences We more than conquer Not only do they not draw us away from God But they draw us to him We cry out to him, Abba, Father. We cry out to him for mercy. We cry out to him for help. We cry out for him for strength. We rely upon him. So we need to be personally persuaded. No matter what you are experiencing this morning, and I don't know what that might be, and again, I don't want to minimize what that might be in your life. It might be huge. But I don't care what it is. I can say with absolute certainty this morning, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, God is loving you even in the midst of these experiences. This doesn't mean that God has washed his hands of you this does not mean that God is now pouring out his wrath upon you. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We are no longer under his wrath. No matter what we are experiencing this morning, we can cry out to him. Knowing that he loved us. Knowing that he loves us. Knowing that he will always love us. And he will continue to give us love for him. And we will more than conquer by his great grace. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope and confidence that we have not in ourselves, but in you. We are thankful for the great love that you have given to us in giving us your son. And how that with him you will freely give us all things. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, an ever-increasing love for you a love that's not engendered by us, a love that comes from you. Pour it into our hearts, we pray. Give us receptivity. Give us understanding. Give us an ever-increasing love for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I asked the, the praise team